that um, I got. Turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. And I want to read this to you this morning. That it, it's, a, it's a message I got from a mom of a middle schooler this uh, past week. And I want you to understand that as an eldership team, we too are wrestling with what does it mean and how do we serve you as a family? How do we serve our community? Uh, what do we do during all this time when no one knows what to do during COVID? Um, and while we are trying to be sensitive to everything and being honoring to everything as an eldership team, there's something in our spirit that appreciates and feels impressed about how important our corporate gathering is on Sunday mornings. Uh, this is an incredible time to think about that. And I just want to read this to you as I go into our fa family series. Listen to this. Lately, I hear about a dark winter. I was thinking how dark it must have been the day Jesus took his last breath. No one knew what was taking place. They saw death. They saw the end. What hope went out that day? But it wasn't over. God was working. I'm reminded that he's still working today. He's still moving today. Even though we can't see it and sometimes even feel it, I also see that as the world is trying to take away some normal joys from our places where our kids' lives are impacted greatly, not just at our homes, but in our churches, Maybe, just maybe, God is calling the church family to come together and be an influence in our kids' lives. Sports won't matter. Bowling won't matter. But what happens in our church and in our youth groups, that matters. Our kids need to learn and hear from God. They need to expect, just like we do, to be in God's presence. I think that's a powerful affirmation in the sense that uh, we are committed to this gathering, this worship. We also understand that COVID is a very real thing. It's something all of us have to deal with. It, it's, it's not fake or a facade. It is very real, even though some things that go along with it may get exaggerated and that, those type of things. We, we're not getting into the politics of all of that. What we're saying to you, though, is that as an eldership team, we believe that corporate worship and our experience and encounter with God together is important. It is important. And we all need to protect that. We need to protect the ability to do that. I was talking with one of our leaders uh, this past week that every time we worship together, we're not singing songs or playing instruments. We're not listening to a sermon. Every time we worship together, we are encountering God. Worship in and of itself is an encounter with God. And that's its sole purpose is to encounter the Spirit together. Fighting for that is important. Being wise and good stewards is important. So maybe we don't shake hands. Maybe we don't hug as much. But fighting for family is important. And family is bigger than blood. It's bigger than children. It's bigger than husbands and wives. It, it, it includes everything of who we are. 
It's not limited to that. Let me prove it to you in Nehemiah chapter 4 again, verse 14. Watch this. Then as I looked over the situation, I love it. That's what a good leader does, is he looks over the whole situation. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord is great. I, I wish that some of us would get that revelation that God is great. I, I wish that we'd get that revelation that nothing is greater than God. I, I wish we'd get the revelation that as long as God is sitting on the throne, he's in charge. And, and I don't really believe God intends to get up. He said, the Lord is great and glorious. And then he says, fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, and fight for your homes. Fight for your brothers. There's, there's an aspect of us all being together in this. And that when we talk about rebuilding foundations, we're understanding that any and every church is only as effective and strong as the family units are that call that place home. And so today, I want to talk about commitment to God as a family. I want to challenge a concept that I think sometimes gets us misled, uh, even though it, it is very, it, it's, it, there's nothing like in and of itself wrong, but sometimes wrong thinking leads to wrong action or wrong motivations. When we review the last few weeks, we see that there's no such thing as a perfect family. And everybody said amen. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I love Tim and Lynette dearly. You do too. Hello, somebody. I thought you'd help me out a little bit. Maybe they don't. I don't know. Today's their 23rd anniversary. Right? There's a lot to admire about those two. Their family, their dedication to the Lord, their commitment to God, their, their commitment to uh, where God has called them uh, to serve and those type of things. There's a lot to admire about who they are and what goes on in though. But I, I want to say this to you this morning. They ain't, they ain't perfect. <laughs> they, they're not. And we can all rest in the fact that there isn't a perfect family. Only families that live by godly principles are families that survive and thrive. Somebody say Amen. And it, it doesn't take, I remember Breno's statement to us, it, it, it doesn't take perfection to make a great family, but it does take work. And when we, we talked about husbands and dads, which is something that I just have to share. It's my sermon. I'm preaching it. You can preach your own. About being a warrior and what that looks like. And how the scripture encourages us as men uh, to live our lives, to, to love our wives passionately, to serve our kids and lead them gently, and to slay anything that gets in front of the first two. But men, our spiritual life strengthens or weakens every relationship we have. Our spiritual life impacts our integrity completely, especially in the home. And our spiritual life impacts our ability to be the peacemakers that God has called us to be. And just because we're a warrior doesn't mean we like war. A true warrior loves peace. And his goal is peace, not war. He's unafraid to battle the things that rob his family of peace. Y'all got to understand this. 
When we talk about the idea of building that family that will last and thinking about those things and, and maybe it being in a place to where we're actually rebuilding. Hello, somebody. Those foundations. Remember, Nehemiah was sent to rebuild Jerusalem and to use burned stones, right, to rebuild all the things. And he had no idea that the infrastructure that he was building would be one day the very infrastructure that Jesus would walk on. He could not have fathomed that. God didn't tell him that part of the plan. God gave him a burden to rebuild. You have no idea as a parent, as, as someone who leads your family, that what you're actually doing is laying foundations in your children and in your family's life for Jesus to walk down and, and to introduce himself to a lost and dying world. You have no idea. You can't fathom the depth of what that means. So a strong sense of commitment is necessary because the truth of the matter is our vision is limited and the fact that we don't know the grand scheme of God. Because we can't fathom it. Our minds don't think that way. Our, our communion, our time spent together, our communication skills, the ability to cope with one another, those things, all important, all important, all important. Today I want to talk about commitment. Is that all right? Zig Ziglar loved to golf. Now, I don't know if you know that, and I've used him a couple of times lately. You, you know his name if you don't know much about him, but he's often quoted. He loved to golf, and he took his son out to golf with him on the golf course one day. And, and on this golf course, his, his son was still relatively new to the game and still learning the game. And, and, you know, like anybody outside of Tiger Woods is probably still learning the game. Um, but Zig Ziglar was impressed with his son on this outing and his performance, especially on a particular hole, a par four. Now, at the tee, his son hit the ball straight down the fairway, which is something that we all are jealous about. And his second shot put him right on the green and set him up for a birdie. It's an incredible place. So his dad was excited about his play, overlooked the putt, walked around the green, gave his son a little instructions about how to, to putt the ball out so that he could achieve this birdie, which would be his first birdie ever playing golf. I'm still waiting for mine. I usually ride the bogey train, the two, three, four bogey train, but anyway. Um, his son followed his directions completely. Puts the ball, boom, right into the hole, his first birdie. His dad was incredibly proud. What I didn't tell you about this story is that Zig Ziglar had also hit two fabulous shots, placed himself on the green even closer than his son to the hole to make a birdie also. Now, in his mind, he considered flubbing the shot to encourage his son to, hey, you beat me on the hole. But he also remembered that he's always challenged his son to do the very best he could do. So in that moment, he decided, I'm not going to flub the shot. I'm going to make the birdie. And he made it. And as they walked off the green, Zig Ziglar asked his son this question. Were you rooting for me? They sat down, and his son looked at his dad and said, Dad, I always root for you. 
I always want you to win, Dad. I always root for you. This is the kind of commitment that makes a family strong. I always root for you. In our marriage series, I've I've shared a lot about the idea of scorekeeping and how it doesn't work. Husbands and wives often keep score. You always, you never, it's never true. You always leave your shoes in the floor. I don't always leave my shoes in the floor. I just notice every time I do. You never put a garbage bag back in the garbage can. I, okay, so I probably never do that. But I tr- at least try to remember. Scorekeeping doesn't work. And here's, the, here's, here's my biggest challenge with scorekeeping. The minute I start keeping score is the minute I intend for you to lose. And scorekeeping cannot work in a family. Why? Because you're not rooting for them. I always root for you. I always want you to win. And I think in my heart, why don't I want my wife to win at everything in life? I have this sign in my office. This is controversial. I know some people misunderstand my heart over the sign. The sign says, happy wife, happy life. My wife is not... A little princess that demands her ways all the time. She's not high maintenance. The sign has nothing to do with her motivation and everything to do with mine. I want her to win. She wins, I win. Hello, somebody. Every time she wins, I win. I'm always rooting for you. It's a commitment that always seeks the best in each other, in our spouses, in our children, and everything. I'm always rooting for you, always seeking a way to help you succeed, to set you up, to make sure that you benefit the most, always wanting to get ahead and win. That's what I want for you. And that's the kind of commitment God wants for his people. And that's the com- God is rooting for you. Do you understand that, family? God is rooting for you so much that he bankrupted heaven to make sure you sick. Y'all not helping me. God is rooting for our families. It's in those moments and in those times when you're fighting because of frustration, because of breakdown, because of trouble and and struggle and strife and all the things that seek to destroy you. Those are the moments when you think God has abandoned you and you think that it's your job to look for whoever it is to blame for the struggle instead of looking to Jesus who's the one who's rooting for us. He has not abandoned us as a family. It's his goal that we win. And on baby dedication, I read the same scripture every time. Y'all are sick of Deuteronomy 6. Yes, you are. Baby dedication. Pastor John's going to read Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Right? Like, you know what? Sick or not, I'm going to read it to you again. It's my sermon. Preach your own. Watch this. Deuteronomy 6.5. So good. I mean, it is just so good. 
And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. I'm, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Don't throw anything at me. Just listen. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your head. Wear them around your forehead as reminders. Everybody say remember. Everybody say remember. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. It's not unbiblical to put scripture around your house. The Lord your God will soon bring you into a land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, precious cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig. You will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful. Not to forget the Lord. He rescued you from slavery and the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you take an oath, you must only use his name. This is the formula for success. Put God first in your family unapologetically put God first in your family when you teach your children put God first when you teach your uh, when you when you share your heart inside of everything when you're working through Bible studies and put God first when you're laying out your finances put God first when you're thinking about schedules put God first put God first and how you live this is a formula for success. And I guarantee you, if you'll look at each and every time that you failed, not each and every time you've had struggle. Struggle has nothing to do with failure. Come on. I said each time you failed, it's probably more than likely almost guaranteed that you didn't put God first. I didn't say your heart was wicked or evil. I just said because of the pain, because of the struggle, because of the situation. You felt like you had to own something. You had something to do in your own strength. And you did it and didn't put God first and it didn't, uh, it didn't work out. See, I, 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 I want you to understand. I looked up every reference that I could. This week, the word commit. Committed commitment, and I was surprised at what I did not find. That's an interesting thing because all the things that I found I expected. And it didn't settle in my spirit right away because I'm like, I know all that stuff. I need something new. God, show me something new about commitment or commit when I'm talking about family. I, I need a fresh revelation here, God. And God said, you're looking at it wrong. Look at what you're not finding. Okay, let's uh, let me back up here. Just watch this. You never find the Bible teaching that we should put our family first. In fact, Jesus himself violates you in the Scripture. He makes a statement, and you just think, wow, he, he must have, 
That was rude. You ever read some of the stuff Jesus says in the Bible and just go, he, he had a bad day? Come on. You don't read the Bible like that? Like Jesus must have had a bad day. <laughs> Maybe Jesus had a bad night before and he's a little grouchy today. Hey, uh, come on. Like, why would he say that? You know, Jesus got up some days and went and picked a fight. Sure he did. He called people names. He did. He called people names. I, I sent a text message this, this week to Holly. I said, yeah, it's, all, I, it's, it's fine. It's, I'm all good. And, and my stupid smartphone. You got one of them? Respelled good to hood. And I said, Yeah, I'm all hood. And she sent me back a text and she says, I've often thought about you being a little like that. You're, you're a little from the hood sometimes. <laughs> you ever read some of the stuff Jesus said and just go, Wait a minute, something ain't right. In fact, Jesus said this, Matthew 10 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me, not worthy of me. But didn't Deuteronomy say, honor your father and mother? That this is the first promise with the length of days? Jesus said, anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. Jesus must have had a bad day. Like somebody must have made him mad. I thought the church was a great place to raise my children. I, I, I thought it would be a great place to strengthen my family. I, I thought if I went to church, I'd have a stronger marriage. Yes, yes, yes. But not if your commitment first is to your family. You will have the kind of family you want only if your commitment comes to God first. Proverbs echoes Jesus, or Jesus echoes Proverbs, however you want to do it. It's all the Word of God, and it is who He is. And it says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Proverbs 16.3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. See, here's the thing about committing to the Lord. When you commit to the Lord, you can't do it your way anymore. That's why y'all don't want to commit to Jesus, because you still want to do it your way. See, when you commit to the Lord, you commit to doing it His way. And that means your way's got to change. It's got to change. Now, why is all this violating us at this moment? Hang on with me. I'm taking you somewhere. God knows that who I am committed to will determine who sets the rules. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, come on. That's Listen, I might not be preaching the barn down this morning, but that's good. That's good. Who you're committed to is who you allow to set the rules. 
That's the truth. It doesn't change. I, I, I'm not sure how much it violates us in that way, but maybe God does offend the flesh to reveal the heart a little bit here in this part. God knows that who I'm committed to is who I allow to set the rules. If I'm committed to my family first, then if they're not happy, I won't obey God. I know, I know of a family. They had a little boy, he could do no wrong. He was Dennis the menace in the flesh. But he could do no wrong. He would periodically misbehave in Sunday school. Teachers tried to adjust with it and help a little bit. and um, Finally, all our teachers are instructed, look, if, if a child is misbehaved, just bring them back to their parents. Our Sunday school teachers, it's not their job to be parents. They serve us. And, and if your child is misbehaving, don't be embarrassed about it. Right? My wife's not embarrassed. I mean, well, maybe she is a little bit when I misbehave. But, and, you know, it's just one of those things. We're all in this together. So, the, the teacher acted properly. Those parents didn't bring their ch- child back to church anymore. Why? Because their little boy was their priority, not God. And they ended up divorcing themselves from God because their little boy wasn't happy. Let me help you out. Oftentimes, children aren't happy. Happiness is not the goal. Love, training, and instruction is the goal. And anything that doesn't challenge us doesn't change us. And, 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 and that's okay in our children's life. We should challenge them more often. We, we should challenge them more often in a way that it helps them embrace the change that that challenge will bring in their life. So you've got to grab a hold of this thing. If I'm committed to my family first, then I'll do what I think is right rather than what God thinks is right. Come on, church. It motivates me to move. See, when, when I, whatever I'm committed to is what motivates me. Come on, church. Those are the things that motivate me. You don't often have to tell, uh, tell people where you're at, what you believe in. They watch the way you live, and they know what you believe in. Okay? And, and that's so you can say one thing here, but they watch you live another way. You don't believe in that. You don't believe in that. See, your, your belief is truly something that develops actions. And what you need to do more often, what we all need to do more often than not, is allow our actions that don't line up with what we say we believe to help us repent, move, and change. That, that, you know, that's why the Bible says that, listen, if you judge yourselves, you don't have need of anyone else judging you. The Bible literally says, stop lying to yourself. Just be honest. I need this. I need to move inside of this. I'm, I, I want us to understand something today. I value family. It's important. But value pointed in a direction without proper commitment can also be wrong value. It's a firm principle in the Christian life. If you put family first, sooner or later, God will come second.
when, when, I, when I put God first, then my family will benefit. Because, because then God will set the rules of how I should treat my family. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what we want. That's exactly what we want. First Peter, First Peter 3, 7. I'm going to work through this real quick. Brace yourself. It's the Bible, not Pastor Don. Although I like it. A lot. Husbands, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Be considerate as you live with your wives. Y'all better listen. Treat them with respect. As the weaker partner, as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The Bible says, gentlemen, mistreat your wife, God will not hear your prayer. It's right there. I didn't write it. And I don't have a trick Bible. I might have a funny version this morning, but I don't have a trick one. I guarantee you, husbands, mistreat her. She is a daughter of God. You think Pastor Don gets violated if my son-in-law would mistreat my daughter? You ain't got nothing compared to being married to the daughter of a king. The king of kings gave you his daughter. Oh, tell you. She's a blessing. She might not always act like a blessing. That's okay. We all need a little spit and vinegar in our life. Not my job to decide that. My job is to treat her with respect and with honor. And that means with my words... That means with my touching. Let me tell you, every gentleman in this room, you better listen to Pastor Don. You want to violate me? You make me mad very quickly? You want me to get all Pentecostal on you? Touch your wife in anger. Grace and mercy belongs to God. I will hurt your feelings. Sorry. And God will not mind. He won't. Don't touch her. Don't touch her in violence. Don't do that. Now, I understand she might have a way to push your buttons like nobody else does. It's still your button. I said it's still your button. You don't get to push it. You don't get to push it. You don't get to push it. I'm going to go over here and pray for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Here's the deal, right? This is the thing. I want God to hear my prayers. So I'm going to respect his daughter. Mm. I got to move on because I got another sermon to preach later. God will say this to husbands. If we mistreat our wives, he's not listening to us. He got one thing he wants us to get straight. She belongs to me, boy. Ephesians 5.33 must, watch this. Ephesians 5.33 must love his wife as he loves himself. And a wife must respect her husband. Uh-oh, uh-oh, okay. Wives are commanded by God to respect their husbands? That means do not belittle or put them down. Ladies, you cannot belittle your husband. He is responsible for you before God. He will answer for you. That's his job. He's got to own that. You can't disrespect him. I remember my wife pulling a young lady into my... I've told you this story. On a Sunday morning, I'm trying to review my notes, go over some things. My wife dragging this young lady into my office. Closing the door, and I'm like, hey, hey, what's going on? And she said, you shush, I'm dealing with her. 
And I was like, oh boy, I've seen that finger before, young lady. I'm sorry about your luck. <laughs> so at this moment, I'm glad it's not being pointed at me. She said to that young lady, she said, what you did out in that foyer sowed a seed of bitterness to every person in that church, and they have no idea what was going on. You can be upset with your husband, and you can go home and deal with issues, but I better not ever catch you disrespecting him in public again. And I was like, hey, sweetheart, be a little pastoral. She said, you shush. I'm dealing with her. And I was like, I got to go. Somebody about to die. That young lady just began to bawl. And my wife said, let me pray for you. And I watched her embrace this young lady and begin to pray over her. And they both began to bawl. And I'm like, do I cry? Do I leave? I don't know what to do at this moment. Just like, hello, somebody. And then they got done praying. And my wife said, now we're going to go out there and worship God. And you're going to stand next to me during the church service. Because I love you. Uh, y'all don't, y'all don't get it. Ladies, you have no idea how much power you have in the man's life that you're married to. You have no idea how much you have, to, the power you have to equip him and to sail him and to lift him up into what God has called him to be. And see, I'm speaking to this to all of us, whether we are there or going to be there or we've been there and haven't done it right. That's why we call this Rebuilding Foundation because it's never too light, late to begin to do it right. So just repent. Oh, I'm not done with y'all. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. There's some of y'all over here too. I got some of y'all set up front, so it's your fault. Watch this. Children. All the children say, that's me. Oh, you are too quiet. I need to hear you. Say, that's me. That's me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life. We're talking about commitment this morning, young people. We're talking about commitment this morning. The Bible didn't say you had to understand your parents in order to obey them. It didn't say that. Sometimes you can't understand because you just don't know. Your job is obedience. That's what the scripture says. Especially if you have parents that love you and provide for you and take care of you. Somebody asked me one time, hey, Pastor Don, I'm thinking about my children's life and, and those things who want to be a blessing in their life. How much was your allowance growing up? It was groceries, a bed, and a roof. I was allowed to live there. <laughs> I never went hungry. I wasn't cold. We didn't have much. Children, obey them. I know, we hear these doctors, oh, Bill Cosby, he's one of those guys that went around with a big joke one time. He was like, I used to tell my kids, right, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. That's not what God's talking about here. This is God telling our kids that if you want to survive in this world, you need to honor your parents. That's the first place honor starts in your life. You learn how to honor other people by first honoring your parents. And if you don't honor your parents, you will never honor anyone, young people. You will never do that. 
Fathers, I didn't share the scripture with you the other day, but I put it in here. I'm going to move through it really quickly. Don't exasperate your children. Ephesians 6, 4, it says that specifically. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, right? Don't be an agitator in your kid's life. Listen, I have fun with my kids as much as possible, right? Like, there are certain things they expect from me. It's a riot, and I just want to have fun in those. But exasperation is, a, if they can never please you, that's trouble. That's trouble. Notice these commandments are from the Lord. Everything I've worked through here. All these commands. We may not always want to do these things. We, if, if we don't want to do them, if God is our first priority, if, if we're committed to pleasing God above all else, then we'll follow them because this is what God wants from us. If I'm totally committed to God, something I want you to grab a hold of. If I'm totally committed to God, then I understand once I become a Christian, nothing belongs to me anyway. My wife is not mine. She belongs to the Lord. My children are not mine. They belong to the Lord. Are y'all getting me this morning, church? Everything belongs to God. My finances are not mine. Everything is a test of stewardship. Everything is a test of stewardship. And if you limit stewardship to a dime on a dollar, you're missing everything. It's the first place to learn stewardship. And I guarantee you that if you struggle with a dime on a dollar in stewardship, you're going to struggle in everything else in stewardship. That's a guarantee. You show me a family who's committed to that, I'll show you a family who's walking in stewardship. They're wrestling everything else out in stewardship. This is what's working in our life. I don't own anything. God holds me accountable for how I treat my wife, how, how you treat your husband, how we treat our kids, especially how we treat each other in times of conflict. Now, that's, this is part of it. It's just part of it real quick here about building our family and our foundation, our commitment. It's just a little portion of it. There's another part of it that I want to end with this today, and I want you to grab a hold of this because we still haven't yet talked about God's part. Psalms 37, 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Here's what I tell the young men that I walk with and every man that I disciple. Any guy who comes to me and says to me, Pastor Don, I got a reputation to protect, is a guy I'm very, very, very concerned about. Because it tells me he has new character. Jesus tells me, take care of your character and your reputation will take care of itself. It's as simple as that. That's why I tell these young people, you can't be out all feely touchy with each other. Young boys, you do that, she knows you ain't got any character. Young ladies, it's the same thing. Hello, somebody. Boy, that I felt... I thought everybody in the room get uncomfortable. Pastor Don's going to go there. He's going to go there. He's going to go there. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Why not? The world goes there. Have you watched a commercial lately? You tried to watch a sporting event lately? Have you seen the things that Hollywood says is good 
and Hollywood says is bad, yet the Bible says, woe unto those who call evil good and good. I have no reason to apologize for what I just said. Commit your way to the Lord, and he will make this. Your righteousness will shine like the dawn, your justice of your cause like the noonday. I'm the first one that when someone says something negative about me, wants to say, hey, that's not fair. But then I'm reminded, I'm responsible for my character. God will handle my reputation. Put God first. Put God first. That's what God is saying here. There are people who believe in this concept, this particular concept that says this. Now, I'm going to violate you again, and that's all right. You can chew the meat and spit out the bones. You ever heard this phrase, God helps them who helps themselves? You ever heard that phrase? <laughs> if you can help yourself, God expects you to do that. You'll chew on that a little bit. I, I have no problem saying that because I believe that with my whole heart. If you can help yourself, stop being lazy. Stop looking for somebody to blame. Help yourself. God expects that. That's just part of being an adult. Grow up. That's part of maturity. I can take care of this because this is my responsibility. Instead of sitting around whining that God doesn't love me and everybody's against me and the whole universe and cosmos is coming, I can do some things. Get off the merry-go-round of stupid. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. Just watch what happens. Life changes. You'll stop going in a circle. I guarantee it. It's a false doctrine. It's not biblical. You won't find it in there. God never said that. He never endorsed it. God does not help those who can help themselves. God helps those who honor him and puts him first. Amen. That's what happens. I don't care if you're a Christian or a non-Christian this morning. You're listening to this. I know everybody in their heart of hearts wants the best for their family. I know that. Sometimes those who aren't Christians just do it by instinct. They want their family to have the best. They want their family to be protected. They want all these things to happen. Maybe their parents modeled a good lifestyle for them and, and those type of things. It's just perhaps maybe they've seen Christians who treat their family uh, biblically and they copied that. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. I often ask young people when I'm doing marriage counseling, tell me someone who you think has a great marriage. And they point to a model. Now, they don't know those people. They don't know what happens behind closed doors. But they say, that's, I see this and it's good. I often ask them too, tell me someone you know who has a bad marriage. I'm not asking you to judge. I'm just saying, you know what you don't want modeled. We all are in this mode of trying to make sure our family's well provided for. Our children need a good education. Somebody say amen. Sure they do. That's why some of y'all barked up about this stuff lately. I'm glad you care. But what you're learning now is maybe you should have been more involved than you were before. And you're learning now that that lack of involvement is causing some struggle at this point because you trusted someone else to do everything you should have been helping do. I'm just preaching a little bit today, not a lot, but just a little bit. 
we, we, want, we want our children to grow up healthy. We want our family to be healthy. We, we want the best opportunities for our family. We want our children to have good jobs and those type of things. I, I, poor Tyler. Where is Tyler? Are they helping with kids today? Where, where, oh, there he is. You moved. The kids ran you out of there. You don't belong in a youth group no more. Get out of here. I like it. I expected when Tyler graduated uh, high school and then when he got home from the mission field that he would go to work on the farm. Why not? I was a little confused one day when I was like, so Tyler, he's going to come. And Tim's like, no. I told him he had to work somewhere else or somebody else because I didn't want him to have a spirit of entitlement. And right away I was a little bit like, man, that's not really fair. Poor boy. He's a good boy. I don't think Tyler could ever feel entitled. I don't know him, maybe. But then I, I thought for a few minutes, you know what? Here's a moment. Come on, church. Where Tim is saying, I want him to realize that I do want the best for him. And that's not always about giving him everything. We want our kids to marry well. Sure we do. We want to raise our children and our grandchildren so somebody we can be proud of. And, that, and I, I love to tell my kids how proud of them I am. I, you know, I'm really proud of you. If it's within our power, we want them to have the financial benefits. They can. If it's within our power. Say it. If it's within. I'm going to say it real slow. If it's within our power. Many families will do much of what they do within their own power by extension. And what you're doing is you're teaching your children to rely on someone else other than God. I came to this revelation through Tim Carpenter. Tyler needs to seek God as his provision. One day a small boy trying to lift a heavy stone... And he couldn't budget. And his father was watching him. And finally his dad went up to him and said, Hey, are you using all your strength on that? And the little boy just screamed out, Yes, I'm using all the strength I have. And the dad said, No, you're not. He said, What are you talking about? I'm using. He said, You haven't asked me to help yet. Everybody say, Remember. You teach them to remember. This father said, Haven't I helped you in the past? When you asked, yes. How come you wouldn't ask now? Remember that I helped you? Remember I was there when you needed me? Why wouldn't I be there now if you need me? Come on. Come on. Remember. remember. Everybody say remember. Remember. If you and I can make a constant part in our life, remembering what God has done for us in our past, when we face difficulties as a family and obstacles as a family, we'll be more inclined to look to God to help us to encounter and, and deal with these problems a second, a third, and a fourth time church. And if that's true in our lives, then it'll be true in our kids' lives. They'll be more inclined to look for God in difficult times. They will be if we help them remember. This is the type of mindset that we should have, almost missionary-like, that we got to remember these things. We should be consumed with the aspect of life, living for God. I live to worship you. To worship you. Y'all not listening to me this morning. It's so good, right? Growing up, man, my wife was a missionary in our house. She fully intended and was committed to the fact that our kids were going to die with the same teeth they had in their mouth when they were 10 years old. 
Do you brush your teeth? 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 At night, before they went to bed, did you brush your teeth? Yes. In the morning, before they go to school, did you brush your teeth? Did you brush your teeth? Did you brush your teeth? My wife was missionary in this thing. You're going to die with those same teeth you got in your mouth right now. Brush your teeth. Now, yesterday, Breno had no idea that Miss G was coming. None whatsoever. And I know that because when we got to his house, he was wearing a pair of his dad's shorts and an old beat-up ratty T-shirt. If he'd known this thing was coming, he'd have been... You know what I'm saying? This boy would have had a tie on. Hair, he, did, he would have went to Joe Cooper and got a haircut. He'd got that fade. Y'all see him with that fade, right? He'd have had on a little cologne. No, we showed up there and this boy was unprepared. All day long, his dad asked him, have you brushed your teeth today? And Bruno's like, what is going on? He said, have you taken a shower today? And Bruno's like, what? What is happening around here? We want the best for our kids. My wife was missionary in this thing. Yesterday, all day long, Eddie was missionary about this thing, right? We got to be invested in this. We got to be invested in it. Listen, we should deliberately pursue teaching our family about God's power in our lives. Yes. Yes. His power to overcome brokenness. There's a story of a young girl that, that was being raised by her dad in her youth. And, and, and her dad said, seems like all our neighbors expect everyone to grow up and be sharecroppers forever. But it doesn't have to be that way, does it? And his daughter said, I don't know. And he said, let's go to the Bible. He said, let's look at Joseph for just a minute. She's telling this story older in her age about how her dad encouraged her. And she said her dad wove the wondrous story of a young man thrown into a dark, slimy pit into her life all the years of her life. Joseph didn't stay in that hole. Joseph expected to be a leader. He was not forgotten by God even though he was in a pit. And he wove that into her life every day of her life. He said, God's got good plans for you. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're in a pit today. It doesn't matter if somebody you love has thrown you away or sold you out. I need you to understand God will never throw you away. God will never, ever sell you out. What if in moments like that, parents and families, when we're struggling, we would point our kids to God and say, remember, remember who he is. Remember what he's at. Don't let our current situation dictate our picture and image of God and what he will do, right? What he will say and how he will say it. Don't let that happen to us. Remember who God is. Remember what he said about us. Remember what he's called us to. My wife and my daughter used to read these crazy books called Chicken Soup for the Soul. Oh. My little girl, photographic memory. She would read this thing. She would take it to the toilet with her. She would read this thing. Am I? Y'all got on it. She would read the encyclopedia in the bathroom. And her mom would have to say, come out of there. She would read and read and read. And, and she locked on. I'll never forget. She locked on to this book. Chicken. as a little girl. Chicken soup for the soul. And it got ratty. Bent up. Pages curled. And I remember one day she was going to school. And I asked her, do you have all your books? She had all her books in her backpack. And she had chicken soup for the soul in her hand. 
She was taking it to school. In that book, God taught us as a family that he really did work in our lives. He wasn't just some distant God in some old, outdated book. But God was working in our lives. This book made such an impression on her life that it began to make an impression on all of our lives. And our two kids watched, they watched mine and Lisa's lives as, as the story of God began to be unfold and rebuilding began to happen. And they were caught up in that, not because they didn't have any other choice, but because God was working in their lives too. My question to us this morning, church, as I end this sermon series, is what stories do your kids have to live through? Why, when as a family we are struggling, do we look at each other, tear each other down, trying to figure out who's to blame for what's going on around here? It's in those moments when I believe together we should look to Jesus. It's in those moments when I believe that together we should remember the holes in his hands and we should remember the hole in his side. It's in those moments when we should remember the 39 lashes. It's in those moments when we should declare, no matter what's going on here. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our Deliverer. He is who we are. He will, buy, he will work in our life. It's in those moments that in the midst of all that crisis and chaos, when the enemy in the world is trying to tell us, tear us apart, that we can remember that before there was a resurrection, there was a grave, and before there was that, there was a devil in hell who was trying to kill, steal, and destroy. But my good Jesus, with his holes in his hands and his hole in his side and those 39 lashes, he didn't stay in that grave. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He resurrected in power. And it's that same power that works in our lives. I feel a little Pentecostal. Forgive me. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. That's what we should be telling our children. Look at him. He's never moved. He's never left. He ain't going anywhere. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. What if fighting in the book of Nehemiah has less to do with wrestling and more to do with surrendering. I set y'all up for four weeks. Look at him. Look at him. And y'all were sick of Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to have a missionary zeal in my family. An all-consuming passion that together we walk with God in the place of faith that God has called us to in the family of faith to realize that God is good, to know that God cares, and to understand that regardless of what's going on in that world, God acts in love towards us. If we believe that God can act in our lives, if we're convinced that God has acted in our lives, if we are committed to putting God as a central force in our lives, then our kids, our grandkids, they will pick that up. 
Yes, they will. Yes, they will. They learn to trust their heavenly Father because they've seen us do the same. This story of a stump man years ago, maybe you heard this story. He pulled a tightrope across Niagara Falls. How many of you ever been to Niagara Falls? Isn't that place gorgeous? I'm a little sad that the prettiest view is from the Canadian side, but we've been there several times. And the majesty of that thing. Imagine a guy pulling a rope across that thing. And he's going to walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And people started gathering for this event. And he started across the water on this tightrope to get to the other side. And man, the, the crowd, they just applauded when he made it. And to their shock, he started again. And he went back to the other side of the falls. And he made it again, and everybody applauded. And all those people who believed that it couldn't be done, all of a sudden were amazed that it had been done. Just for good measure, this gentleman then grabbed a wheelbarrow and he walked the wheelbarrow across. And by the time he was on the other side, surely this time any scoffer had been done away with. Man, he just, not only he walked across it three times, but with a wheelbarrow this time. And on his last trip, he announced to the crowd, he said, Now before. I take the wheelbarrow back once more. I'm going to ask for a volunteer. Who will ride in the wheelbarrow? Here's the test. All of those applauding believers, all of a sudden, never mind. But one young child stepped out of the crowd, and without hesitation, as everyone stepped back, she climbs into the wheelbarrow. And he made his way back across the falls with this young girl in the wheelbarrow. And someone shouted out, I can't believe how trusting she is of this man. And another person in the crowd responded, didn't you know? He's her father. She didn't trust the wheelbarrow. She didn't trust the rope. She trusted her father. Come on, family. Come on, family. Oh, didn't you know? Oh, didn't you know? She believed it could be done because she believed in her father. Are you rooting for me? I always root for you. That's called the circle of sermon. I always root for you. Likewise, our children should know how much we are willing to trust God because he's our father. Now, you just experienced a young mom at the beginning of worship who had no idea what I was preaching on today. There's no possible way She could have known that. 
But as she got out of her car today and reached for her baby, that baby reached up to her. Come on, church. This is where I want to encourage you as your pastor. When you're struggling as a family, listen, you're not alone. But you must reach up together to a father who's ready to embrace. You can trust him. Look at him. Look at him. Stand in this place with me. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. And maybe this is where you're at. We've spent four long weeks investing in this idea of rebuilding foundations. And this morning in this place, as an act of faith, if you as a family want to come forward and just say, Father, yes, we are reaching out to you. You are more than welcome. Maybe right where you're at, you just huddle up as a family. I don't care. I'm saying in this moment, right now, we should all reach to heaven, our heavenly Father who's willing to embrace us, church. And we should say, God, we are committing to you first, and we understand by making you first that we are actually caring properly for each other and our family. Come on, church. And so will you stretch your arm out if you want to move out as a family, as an act of faith? You just want to huddle right there for a few minutes. We're just going to worship and sing this song real quick. And we're just going to embrace the Spirit of God right now. Right now, we're just going to spray, embrace this. And so just move out. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we won't want to forget one moment of this sermon series in any way, form, or fashion. God, you have challenged us and stirred us. God, you have moved us by your power and by your Spirit. We know, God, that you want to embrace us. Forgive us, Lord. It's about new. Your mercies are new every day. Your mercies are new every day. And Lord, we reach out to you. Just stretch your hands towards heaven right now. Reach out to your heavenly Father. Come on, reach out to your heavenly Father. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, we just reach out to you. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. To worship you. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. I want to sing one more time. Hallelujah. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live.
Through Jesus, we just embrace your goodness right now. Thank you, Lord, for your favor. God, we pray for miracles. Rebuilding is what you do, Jesus. Restoring is what you do, Jesus. Reconciling is what you do, Jesus. Take what we thought was unfixable and rebuild it in Jesus' name. Let our families be a testimony that you're alive and well. Bless us, Jesus, as we press into you. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. A couple of things on your way out the door. Caden uh, will be home Tuesday. Come on. He was coming home for Thanksgiving, going back, be back for a little bit for Christmas, going back. But because of COVID, he's not going to be able to go back. So we need to pray for the family, that doors open for the right spots and those particular things. Second thing is I just want to thank everyone who was helped, who contributed physically, financially, in every way to helping get the, uh, the deck and the handicap ramp built at their house this week. Come on, just give God praise for that. Thank you so much. Uh, we got a little bit of work to do Tuesday before they get home, but we'll get it done. And uh, that's important in those things. Now, I, I need you to understand, I know we are a feely, touchy church, and we like it that way. We love that you love each other. Uh, we we want to put a pause on that for Caden. Okay? Love him, greet him, right? Tell him how much you love him. But be very careful about touching and that kind of thing. Uh, even in this in this environment for those type of things. So uh, we want the best for them and in that. So uh, good good things that are happening in there. And it's going to be so good to have him home, right? The third thing is next week. Everybody say next week. Starts our Christmas sermon series. First week of Advent. And if this is your first Christmas with us at FFM, we promise you you'll be blessed. Our Advent is not in a hurry. It's powerful. And we have some special treats set up you for the Advent reading each week and the lighting of the candles, I promise you, uh, it's going to be blow. You don't want to miss any of those. Um, so first time as an eldership team, we are going to tag Christmas to Easter. And so the Christmas sermon series and the Easter sermon series are going to have the same title, the same vision, Against All Odds. It's going to be good. So pray, pray as we enter our Christmas season. And uh, we enjoy all those things. We love you guys. Thank you so much for all you are and all you do. Uh, again, we're trying to protect our Sunday morning gathering. So if you see any announcements about maybe some things happening in the midweek that got postponed, please don't be frustrated by that. This is more important to us as elders than some of those things. And we've got plenty of time, the Lord willing, to get back to those other things. So let's pray. Father, bless you today. Bless our families. We receive all of who you are. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Turn around and tell someone Jesus loves you.